said, <laughs> to finish off Relationship Month for us, who has experienced Relationship Month as a blessing this month? Let me just see if there's anyone. Yes, thank you. It's not only me. Um, Ross, welcome here. I shared it in the first service, and I will share it again. Ten years ago, before I had children, my wife and I was in a service, and Ross shared a message on the blessing of children, and it opened our hearts, and we became very excited um, about God's plan for our family, and it is so amazing to have you here 10 years later, finishing off this relationship month. Uh, Ross is a pastor of Shofar Durbanville, and um, Andres and Lisa is also preaching at this moment in Ross's church, so let's give Ross a clap. Thank you, Werner. Listen, I, th I think you know it. Maybe there's a visitor who doesn't know this. But uh, your boundary has fallen in pleasant places. Not just because you live in Hermanus. And I'm not saying this because I have to say this. But, but you know you could have been worse off with pastors, eh? I mean, Andres and Lisa, Varys, you know. You could have been really worse off. There are many churches in this nation that would be so privileged to have them. And, um, but you have the better portion. So I think just uh, if you can just, Werner, on his birthday. Yeah, it's a blessing, Werner. I, I know this because we wanted Werner to come down to Durbanville. Um, but he chose the better part. We always say you don't have to pray. You don't need a word from God to move to Hermanus. You need a word to not move to Hermanus. That's why the rest of the Christians are not in Hermanus. Anyway, let me, um, so my name is Ross. Uh, my wife, Magrit, and my two beautiful children, Nathan and Marguerite, were here in the first service. But they're just outside now. And um, I've been married now for 16 years. Um, I, I, we, had a, we had a very easy first seven years of our marriage. You know, some people say marriage, especially in the beginning, is tough. We did not understand what people were talking about. Um, it was very easy for us. But I must say, um, often when we leave, like if I leave a ministry setting or if I leave a, a friendship group, a party, or if I leave something and I climb in the car and Magrit sits next to me, I smile and I say, because there are some people that, you know, I have an easier wife. <laughs> She's not a wussy. She's a strong person. She's still study, studying after about 20 years. She's specializing in neurology, in pediatric neurology. She's a go-getter. She's a woman, but she's kind-hearted. She's humble. She's generous. And uh, she's a grateful person. So life is generally easier around Magrit. Um, so I'm really happily married. And then after seven years, uh, Nathan was born, and we planted two churches, and my wife was studying at the same time. So, so we always say, as it water is, if it's high water, if it's high tide, you're not really aware of the rocks. But when the margin is less, you're very aware of your shortcomings. So suddenly, all of a sudden, my shortcomings became known because there was little less margin in life. And um, so today when I'm speaking about marriage, I'm not speaking as someone who knows everything. And I'm not speaking as someone who uh, is right all the time. I think it's really humbling. It's easier to preach now because my wife is not here. Just 
just because marriage is the one space where you are known the most. We can fool people, some of the people, some of the time, all of the people, some of the time. But you cannot fool the one who lives with you the whole time. So when I speak about marriage today, I just want to say that I'm, a, I'm aware that it is, it is the one space where your vulnerabilities are known and tested and the space where you are fully aware of your, your other person's vulnerabilities and weaknesses. <clears throat> so that's why I want to start with the next slide. Um, <laughs> I love the scripture. This is a proverb. A proverb is a, is a truism. It's a biblical truism. This is generally true. And that the, the compiler of the Proverbs, some people attribute Solomon, says that where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But with the ox comes a great harvest. Some translation, great profit is gain or strength is gain. Applying this to marriage, we know that living a single life is generally simpler. You can arrange your manger the way you want it, and it will probably stay that way. But when you invite someone else into your manger, there are complications, and there is stuff to be cleaned up. This is a farming principle. It means there is poo in your manger with the ox. But the issue is we must not forget that we must not be you are foolish if you dismiss the benefit of the ox because of the poo it brings into your manger. The issue is just the, the ratio between poo and profit must, not, must, must be discerned the whole time. There is poo and there is profit. And we know this with any relationship, and today we're talking about marriage. And I want to talk to people that are married here today, or that are still looking to be married, in a culture where we are extremely selfish and we want to avoid pain and pleasure, and generally we can because life is simpler online because there's no one in my space. I can keep my manger clean. You can keep someone at a distance. We can, we can, we can do that. But God says that there is a massive gift that comes with allowing someone into your space. And God also says that there are complications and a need for maintenance and cleanup constantly. But what this scripture is saying, that the main thing is not that there is poo, but the main thing is there is massive profit with the gift of marriage. It's amazing. The next slide. Um, we know this text. We know it off by heart. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Can you just look at your spouse and say, you're a good thing? Just say it. Say it like you mean it. You're a good thing. If you're looking around and you see no one looking at someone, maybe you can look and say, ah, she might be a good thing. <laughs> you're welcome with that. We can have an altar call afterwards, and uh, we can make good things eternal. Anyway, so good thing, and obtains favor from God. And this is what the, the proverb again says. There is a blessing that comes from God with the gift of marriage. Marriage is a blessing from God. It is a, intended for a good thing. But God says it's a gift and with the gift with the person there comes a great benefit and the benefit the favor you know it's amazing if you study this and I want to invite you to study the benefits of marriage in a few ways you know sociologically and health wise 
economic-wise. I want you to study it because so much studies have been done. At the moment, again, there's a green paper in front of our government to, to change the definition of marriage in our country. And it's been an ongoing battle. And you know what eventually happens? We don't always have control over that. But what I can tell you, biblically speaking, we can show worldwide that there is a blessing on marriage which outweighs any other form of social life. And this is, this is statistically proven. First of all, um, with studies done on six continents, so all around the world, multinational, they looked at what are the reasons why people live longer. What are the reasons why people live longer? Is it education? Is it the health system of the country? Is it the religion of the country? Why do people live longer? What are the reasons why people live longer? And they found there is only one, only one reason, and that is when two people marry and stay together, they will outlive the statistical norm in their country. There's a gift of marriage, and the reason is obviously they are happier, generally happier. They are more, uh, there is poo in every marriage, but the poo joy factor usually is outweighed. We know this, that the Marriage can either be the closest we get to heaven, experience heaven on this earth, and we also know from experience and from our friends' lives that it can be the closest to hell on earth. But generally speaking, married people are more content, more joyful, more graceful. We also know statistically speaking from all the studies, and this is why we people love longer, is people enjoy physical and mental health better. It's amazing. Maybe it's because bachelors are taken out of the equation who do damage to themselves and others the whole time with crazy ideas. How many of you recall those first few ads when uh, First for Women, the insurance company, came on? Do you remember those? Okay, it's a television thing. Anyway, so it's so, so, so pre-COVID, eh? When people still looked at SABC. But anyway, there was an ad, ad series that came out about First for women, why women's insurance is cheaper than men's insurance? <laughs> because bachelors do, men do stupid things. Men do really, really stupid things. But it's not just that. They showed statistics and, 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 and the research shows that people who are married generally suffer less from simple things like, like colds and flus because their immune system seems to be stronger. They suffer less from the threat of heart attacks, diabetes, high cholesterol, and things like that. They suffer less cancer than people that are married or that are single. It's amazing that even surgery, the need for surgery, married people have less, need, have less of a need for surgery than other people. It's a gift. It's one of those gifts that God gives us. It's one of those gifts to marry. So if you're married today, I just want you to say, even if you are even if you dislike the person that you live with, just say to them, thank you for this gift. <laughs> thank you for this gift. There is a benefit. That's what the Bible speaks about, the benefits of marriage. Income-wise, uh, generally, in studies all around the world, married people generally earn more money than single people and generally acquire way more wealth than single people. Or than, or than people that co-inhabit. Co so they, they studied and they looked and said, it's not just the fact that someone is living with you, either as a housemate or as a permanent partner, 
There's something about marriage that married people acquire more wealth. There's something about the gift of the security of this relationship and the status and how I live is a blessing. There is a blessing. So there are other benefits as well, greater safety and security and those things, which is amazing. So I want to look at marriage today and I want to say, let's consider why do we sometimes, why sometimes do we find the, the poo to profit ratio, if I can use that word, in our marriage, why is it sometimes a bit less desirable? Why the pain? Why the complexities? And I just like us to to look at three myths in our society about marriage and about finding the right one, being the right one. And then I'd like us to look at at Malahachi, the only Italian prophet in the Bible, Malachi. Can we do that? Are you fine? So let's just look at your the person next to your spouse and say. <clears throat> Let, let's, let's look at bi- the Bible. Okay, so the first one. The first myth is, um, it's amazing. We are so, so two slides on. Thanks, Donovan. You are so kind to help me. Two slides on. Yes, the soul myth. Soulmate myth. That's amazing. 94% of young people surveyed, I know it's America, but I believe it's the same year with us because when I speak to young people, this is the word. And I don't think it's just young people. 94% of young people surveyed said that what they're looking for in a marriage partner is a soulmate. I'm looking for my soulmate. You're looking for that one person. We see this in the movie, you know, Sleepless in Seattle 25 years ago or any other movie. We find this person. If you Thank you so much, um, Manny. Someone, someone knows my generation. You look at the, the, the thing and you find this one person who just brings their hands together and say, oh, you complete me. So the myth comes from the 5th century BCE, before Christ. Plato wrote an article which was published, a book which is still read today. And his theory is, he said, he, looked, he wrote down the creation myths according to the Greek religion. So this is a religious thing. And he wrote it down and he said that cr- human beings were created with four arms and four legs as complete whole beings with one heart. And because they rebelled against the gods and refused to pay homage to the gods, the gods had a council together and decided, let's chop them in half so that they will only have two arms, two legs, one head, and a half a heart to punish them so that for the rest of their lives, they will have a need until they find their soulmate. So they will feel incomplete until they find that one. And although this is a silly thought... This thought permeates the way in which we look at relationships today. You find this idea in literature and music and books and movies all around. The idea that there is one person out there that will complete me. There is one person out there that I will feel I belong with. There is one person out there that if I find this, and we bring this into Christian thought, thinking that God has one person out there for me, and it's amazing that researchers say it's not the reason only it's not the only the cause for people to stay single for so long because they think that the person in front of them is not the right person. There is one person that will bring me joy. But it's also the cause of the pain in so many marriages. That when the hiccups and when the seven year discomfort comes from when you first kid in your two churches and your baby problems that we go through, 
we might think that the reason why Machrit and myself are struggling now is because I married the wrong one. Damn. Stuck. Stuck. What should I do? You know, I married the wrong one. And it's amazing how this thought comes up everywhere. That the reason why other people are more happy is because they found their soulmate and I have not. Or the reason why good-looking, nice, proper Christian men and women in my church struggle to see this as a very good spouse. I mean, if you've been married for a few years, you figure out that even I, a perfect being, joke, bring my little pucky, my issues into my marriage, you know. I, I am the ox that brings the great strength, but man, I also, I dirty the manger a lot. <laughs> All of us do that. And you're thinking that if there's dirt... Maybe it's because I'm not the right one. And that's, that's an amazing thought. But the Bible literally never, there's one instance in the Bible where the Bible said that you should marry this person. Only one instance. Now I want to say that it does happen that people hear this is your spouse or people want to believe that this is your spouse. It's usually the good looking worship guy. When I was a student pastor on a student campus, the good-looking girls and men who led the worship, everyone sits there because you look at them for 45 minutes in a service, and they're so, I mean, godly. Look at them. They look at them on stage. They're godly. <laughs> they also bring stuff to their manger. Anyway, so you look at them, and the people would say, oh, God, that is the one for me. So it was always the worship people that, that had five girls had a word for this person. God said to me, you are my husband, you know. It's amazing how, how we bring that Christian thought. There is one person that God created for me. And I'm going to tell you that is a lie. It is not a biblical term. There's one person in the Bible who heard you should marry this person. Now, if you want to marry a prostitute like Hosea did, you would need a word from God. Because the Bible says marry a Christian. The joy in marriage is not found from marrying the right one. but marrying the right way. That's why the Bible has one reference for one person who ought to marry as a sign of pain someone else. And the rest of the Bible writes about how to conduct yourself in marriage. How to conduct yourself in marriage. Amazing, no? Soulmate myth. Soulmate myth. Okay. So you, you're welcome to say to your wife, I like you, but you're not my soulmate. <laughs> because the soulmate brings the responsibility of this person to complete me and bring my joy. And please, for God's sake, don't place that responsibility on your spouse. She will never be able to have it. He will never be able to have it. Next one is the Cupid deception. And um, this little, you can say it, Roman demon of lust. <laughs> you know, Every Valentine's Day, we give one another these cards, and there are some Cupid stuff on it, and it's so cute. And, but, but it's not just that Valentine's Day, this guy dominates the world. It's literally, I want to say, every movie about love, every movie, every movie, uh, every, every book, every song about love, all of these things, you know, we, we sing these words, you know, I can't stop this feeling. I've got to follow my heart. You know, I can't deny my love for you. You know, all of these ideas are ideas that come from Cupid. This little demon 
who sits and shoots the unsuspecting victim in the butt with an arrow that intoxicates them to fall in love, to have insurmountable, to have no control over their passions anymore, lust, <laughs> after the other person. This is the Cupid myth. And the Cupid myth, what it does in our thinking and what it does in our culture, what it does to our marriages, it communicates the idea that love is passion. Love is passion. And you've got to follow the feeling. You've got to find the feeling. You've got to, you've got to go for the feeling. And, and if the feeling goes away, or if you get feelings for another one, you have the permit, you've got the responsibility to follow your heart. I mean, you've got to go where your heart goes. I can't stay in a relationship where my heart is not. I've got to go in another relationship. It's such a popular idea. It's such a popular idea. And, and it's not as though the world out there has these ideas. We live in this ocean with this idea. Biblically speaking, marriage is a, a decision to do good for the other one that accompanies emotions. But God knows I love my toddler at night a lot without the fuzzy feeling. Without the fuzzy feeling. God knows that many times I withhold myself in so many ways from my teenager. I love him, therefore I will not do what I really want to do with him or her. I will not say what I really want to say. Love is the decision to do good, which is accompanied by emotions. It's not led by emotions. I'm thankful that God loves me regardless of his feelings for me. Regardless of the fuzzy, warm feeling, God does what is good and proper to me. Love is a decision to do good to the other one. So, the Cupid myth, I must follow my heart, it's not a biblical idea. You don't marry or you don't conduct yourself in marriage based on your feelings, but based on what is good and proper for the other one. It's amazing how many, in so many cultures around the world, marriages are still... Um, arranged between parents or family members and those marriages are good and proper although you didn't decide to fall in love I mean most of the biblical history has nothing to do with the person choosing a spouse nothing but it's a someone said that this is a good spouse for you because they come from a good family have a great marriage and it's such a foreign idea to us because we are so individualistic and we think we think Cupid decide whom I will marry I must have this feeling overcome me and then with passions and lust and then I must follow my heart for this person and when it wanes off you know maybe Cupid will shoot me in the butt for another person <laughs> it's amazing so regardless how you got in your marriage today maybe you loved her maybe she was beautiful maybe he was a hunk at some point with good potential and now he's not that anymore love is a decision to do good for this person how you conduct yourself in this marriage is biblical. And then the next one, ugh, let, me, let me just mention it and move on because for the younger generation, you know, if you've got an app, one of 50 apps on your phone where you swipe left and swipe right based on the profile of the person in front of you, we've got three or four people in our marriage prep group now at the moment who met one another online. And I'm so happy. It doesn't matter how you meet the person. I'm not talking about the apps and stuff. I'm talking about the mindset where people are compared based on their criteria or their looks or stuff with one another, we live in a consumer-based society. We live, we are consumers. We, and we make 
consumption of relationships of people in this way as well. This person might not work or work or not for me. And we bring this idea in so that, so it does two things in marriage. It delays marriage for many years. I see people, I see people marrying older and older and older because there are so many options, not because there are so few options, because maybe this roulette table will spin and let's not stop here. Maybe, you know, I'm not going to call the shot now. Maybe another person, a better person will come along later. Maybe a bit, maybe my chips will land on someone better. Maybe there's a better one around the corner. I'm not going to settle. Oh, I hear this so much. I don't want to settle on this guy. And then I'm going, girl, that guy's good. That guy's good. I've been married now for 16 years. I, I do marriage stuff. That's what I do. That is a good guy. But he's not as attractive. You know, he's got money and a good job, but his smile is a bit crooked, you know. So he can't be a good husband because, you know, maybe there's a guy with those attributes and a good smile. And maybe a good butt as well, you know. So it's like, anyway, we do this. We do this. We are these people. And what it does in marriage as well is it gives us the freedom and the option to choose someone else. To choose someone else. Thinking that the good life is found with someone else. Rather than the good life is living in God's way where I am. Amazing. So, let's look at the Italian prophet. For those of you new to church, there is not really an Italian prophet. All of them were Jews. So, Malahachi is not really Malahachi. It's Malachi. Very popular name these days again to children. Last prophet to speak in the Old Testament. 400 years before Christ. It's a harsh word in a harsh tone. But the best definition of marriage in the Old Testament for me, the best definition, the most concise definition, the prophet was speaking on God's behalf into a culture where even the religious elite of the day became callous about the covenant of marriage, the institution of marriage. Even the priests and the priests offering at the table and the guys leading morality in the nation decided to trade their marriages the whole time, to, 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 to exchange their older wives for newer models. Like that was the culture. And they were praying and worshiping. They, they, they kept to the religious institution, the offerings and stuff. And God said, I don't want anything to do with this fake worship. What I want from you is to love your wife. Be faithful to your covenant. Be faithful to the promise that you make. Be faithful to her. Love your wife, the one that you have now. You know, love her. And um, he was speaking harshly into, into their culture and into their context. Just before I say anything else. It's also the same guy, that's God that said, my mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's the same God who said that even if you messed up in the past, see, I'm the God who makes everything new. So when I speak into this, I want to speak to people that are married now. Now, just to help you, how do we live in this fuzzy culture? How do we build lasting, joyful marriages? And Andres and everyone else before me had amazing words. I just want to add to the design and the intent of marriage. God says, why do I not hear your prayers, O priest, wailing at the altar? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Look at those words, beautiful. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? God was looking for 
Gemma, for godly offspring. We're going to have a baby dedication after this. God was looking for godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garments with violence. So marriage, the covenant causes you harm if you tear it, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and don't be faithless. Five definitions of marriage that we pick up that are beautiful. Very easy to remember. Very, very easy. The first thing is he says that marriage is companionship before anything else. Marriage is companionship. And he takes us back, obviously, to Adam and Eve, to the institution of marriage in Genesis, where God created everything on the first day through to the sixth day. He says, and it is good, and it is good, and it is good, and it is good, and it is good. And then he looked at Adam and he said, Adam, it's not good that you're alone. It's not good. Everything else is good. That's not good. The fact that you're alone is not good. And, and some of us know about this pain of loneliness. We understand it. I don't want to say I even find pain inside of marriage, that people feel lonely inside of marriage. We live in an epidemic of loneliness. If you want to study anything, search, research loneliness worldwide for the past 20 years. I want to say, especially in the offset of uh, my phone is not here, technology, people are extremely lonely. We don't know how to pay attention to the ones sitting in front of us. We are the ones suffering. But loneliness is epidemic, and Adam was suffering that. And God says, I will make you a helper comparable to you. So many times I've heard in religious circles, not to knock anyone, that the role of the wife, the Bible says, is the helper. What does that mean? Well, basically means clean the house, make the food, do the dishes, baby's crying, go, go, go. <laughs> be the helper, be the, I'll do the big thing, you do the helper. I just got my purpose, you're the helper. What does that verse say? The role of the wife is to help Adam out of his loneliness. Companionship. There's nothing more. Nothing more. The role of the wife. The role of the wife is to take away the loneliness of Adam. And in Proverbs 2 verse 17, the husband is called, the man is called the companion. What is the companion supposed to do? Take away the loneliness. Marriage, the intent and design of marriage is to take away loneliness. If we make it anything more, the poo to profit ratio becomes big. Because then you would put expectations on the other, which is more than what God intended this to be. God intended marriage to be this thing. Take away the loneliness, Adam. That's it. And that's where the Bible says she is your companion by covenant. Marriage is a covenant of companionship. It's a promise. And the promise is not anything else. We hear in marriages that struggle, oh, but remember the covenant, remember if, if one wants to walk out or one is threatening to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. Yo, but God has placed a covenant over you. You know, you made a covenant, you promised, you promised. And then we just, I just stop the conversation and say, what did you promise? Not, not first of all, to whom did you promise? What did you promise? I promise to take away your loneliness. Where you go, I go. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. In good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, I promise is one thing. I love you. I'll do good to you. That is my promise. My promise is essentially, and, and, and because whenever the marriage starts becoming fuzzy, difficult, 
moeilijk. We have to stop and say, what did we promise? We promise to love the other. I promise to take away your loneliness. Marriage is a covenant of companionship. And when you say you're sitting next to your person, your, your spouse, it's a good time just to, to touch her hand and to remind yourself that you promised that she will not feel alone. It's, it's not so much that I will give you the best life and the best house in Hermanus. I'll give you a holiday every year. I'll give you, I sit with you know, people, we are, we are bad. We are bad. We're all bad. It's amazing. I sit and I listen to people and I'm thinking, Yera, I think I'm at this, like this sometimes as well. But when she says, no, you know, I want to be and spend my life with the kids and you must earn. I want a bigger house next in Stellenbosch. And I'm sitting in those conversations and I'm like, oh, this is not what marriage, the promise was not this. The promise was I'll be with you in good times and bad. I'll take away your loneliness. I'll be devoted to you. And this is why God is rebuking these people because he's saying, you're trading your wives for other ones. You're leaving her alone. I'm angry because she's alone. She's alone. That's the issue. Be faithful. She's alone. So marriage is a covenant of companionship. And then God says the most beautiful thing. God says, did not I make them one? You make the promise, I make them one. How do I make them one? By pouring out a portion of my spirit in their midst. It's one of those texts and we Pentecost Sunday. Every, every, every marriage is Pentecost Day. Because God pours his spirit into those two people, that in some mysterious ways they become one. God blesses them. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor, this blessing, this gift of the spirit of God himself, the gift of the spirit of love, the gift of the spirit of life. God says, where two or more are gathered, God says, oh, I'm going to give life. I'm going to pour life into you. Isn't it beautiful where husband and wife dwell in unity? God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm gonna, it's going like, to be like the dew on Hermon, Psalm 133, eh? And there will be life. God says, I'm pouring out my spirit of life in them. It's a mystery, Paul says in Ephesians 5. This is a mystery. I don't know how it works. I can't explain it to you. Paul says, mystery isn't something that you can't know. You just know it through experience. There's something that there's some joint life that God does here. God makes them one. God pours his spirit inside of them. And that is what I think we see the fruit of the blessings that I mentioned in the beginning. Greater health, greater joy, greater security, greater blessing. There is something of the blessing of life here, God says, pouring it out in their midst. God pours it out. But this is why it's important to go to Genesis again. Just like in Ephesians where Paul says God makes them one by pouring out his spirit in Ephesians 4, he later says, but strive, therefore, to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Remember that scripture? It's nearly the same year where God says to Adam, I will make you one flesh, but you leave everything else and you cleave your wife. God says, you maintain the unity. You maintain, this is the intent of this text, you maintain the unity. I make you one, I pour my Spirit upon you, but you leave everything else, everyone else, and you cleave your wife. You've got to step away from the vehicle of immorality. Step away from the vehicle of obsession with your hobby. Step away from your pursuit and greed and wealth and stuff and entertainment. Step away from the vehicle. Step towards your wife. 
move towards your wife, move towards simplicity in her heart. It's not about wowing her, it's about pursuing her heart and intimacy. It's about drawing near. Step away. God says, leave those things that hamper your unity and draw near to your wife, to the person. It's not about the marriage. It's about this person in front of you. It's not about the institution of marriage. It's about this person. God says, this is what marriage was always designed to be. I don't want the stuff. I don't want the money, honey. It's a song in the 90s. I want the love. <laughs> it's a bad song. It's a really bad song. I can sing it to you, but then the service will end. <laughs> Offspring, it's amazing. We're going to dedicate Jenna to God later. But it's amazing. Jema, God says, why did I pour a portion of my spirit in their midst? God is rebuking the nation for their casualness towards marriage. And he rebukes them. And he says, why did I pour a portion of my spirit in their midst? And then he says, what was God seeking? God's asking himself, what was the one true God seeking? And he's saying, this is what I want. What every grandparent wants. I want kinners and kinners by Dusaina. I want offspring. I want it. I want life from your kids. I, I want what I wanted from Adam and Eve. I will bless you to be a blessing, he said to Abraham. But to Adam and Eve, he says, I bless you. Therefore, God says, be fruitful and multiply. I bless you to be a blessing. When the two of you come together, there is power of life. There's a blessing. I pour my spirit upon you. God says, the purpose of marriage is not just for you to enjoy yourself forever, to be self-obsessed. God says, I bless you to be a blessing. It's like myself. I have my perfect unity and my perfect joy, God says. But my joy, greatest joy, comes not to receive but to give. Same thing. God says, I want your marriage to overflow as a blessing to others. I bless you so that life may come through you. So that goodness may come through in you. God says, my, my character and my nature is known in two people who seek me and love one another devoutly, like in nothing else. Marriage is there for procreation and illustration. To be fruitful, multiply, but also illustration. There is nowhere else where we know God more intimately in his nature than two people that are faithful and devoted to one another. It's the picture. But God says, I want that picture to, to overflow in life, to be fruitful and multiply, to I bless you to be a blessing. God says to multiply. And it's, it's in your own children. I want to say in this church, there are doubtlessly people sitting in front of me that really struggle with fertility, that really struggle to have children. It's, it's a thing. It's not new. It's always been like this. I think it's more known today than maybe it was in the past. But it, God says, I will bless you to be a blessing. Seek God in that. But don't let that stop you from being a blessing to others. God says, my godliness, my goodness must flow from your marriage in one way or another. So seek, seek ways for your, for your marriage to be a blessing to others. And then the last thing, and this is the call of the whole call of the prophet here in this chapter, where God's crying out to his people and saying, so what do you want? What, what do I want from you? God says, I want you to be faithful to the covenant of companionship. I want you to be faithful. And if you ask me what's my heart here today, it's this thing. To be faithful to your promise of companionship. To be faithful to the person sitting next to you. 
to look one another in the eye, knowing that your marriage certainly has great profit. There's a great ox. But I know that every, every house, every manger needs to be cleaned. Constantly, routinely, always, always. There's not one house which does not have poo to clean up, if I want to use the manger thing. Alkais, every single house. But God is saying, this is a gift. There is great strength here. And if you want to start with a blessing, start with what was the intent of this marriage? It's because I was lonely and God gave me you to take away my loneliness. That's it. I was lonely and God gave you. You are the best gift from God and I receive you in such a way. I want to say to you that I'm here. I promise to take away your loneliness. That's the covenant that I make. I made no other covenant. I made that covenant. I promise to take away your loneliness. How can I do that? How can I do that? And it starts with not focusing so much on all the pain, but there needs to be a cleaning out always, routinely, constantly, every day. But it starts with that question. How can I take away? What will, what will feel you? What will make you feel that I loved you today? What, how can I take away your loneliness? And let that be the focus. God says marriage is a covenant of companionship, and that is the thing. We're sitting with people in the house today that I know have had lots of pain in their marriage like I have. We're sitting people in their marriage that had un, unfair expectations of their spouses like I've had. There are people in front of me that come from a house where there was divorce, or maybe you yourself went from divorce. And when Malachi says, so therefore what great violence will come to your house, great violence will come to your garment, we know what that means. We know we've suffered the pain. And I say to you that God makes all things new. Christ's covenant is I make everything new, literally everything. Whatever is broken, that's why Jesus came to the earth to destroy that which the devil did and to make all things new. So he can heal anything, anything. He can heal any heart, any situation. God can heal any marriage here in front of you today. Return to the call of the covenant to take away the loneliness. I'm going to pray this for you today. So Father, we thank you for, we thank you for this house, God, this gathering, these people, Lord, that came to seek you, God, people who, who desire you, God, people who acknowledge that they could have had done so many other things today, but they were seeking you. And God, I thank you for, for the gospel that we just listened to. The fact, God, that you are calling to your people who are unfaithful. And you came and you said to them, the marriage is a covenant of companionship. Where you are so committed by pouring a fullness of your spirit inside of every married couple, God. By making them one. By giving them the grace. By blessing them. So that they may be a blessing. That they may be godly offspring, biological or any other way. And there's a call to faithfulness. And God, I pray in Jesus' name that you will heal hearts. And you will heal marriages. And most of all, God, that you will that you will renew expectations with joy, that you will pour out your spirit of hope and endurance upon this congregation, these people here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bye, thank you, Werner. Let's give Ross a clap. It's awesome to have him here. I want to invite uh, James, Leanne, and Gemma to the 